0: Welcome to the 3B3 Podcast, a weekly look at the world of hockey with your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick.
1: Okay, well, I guess I can start off with my, uh, the question from the previous podcast that we finished off with was, are we gonna, or, or was there other things you wanted to talk about first?
2: I don't know about first, but, um, I was curious if either of you guys wanted to talk about the David Backus'
0: comments this week. I don't care.
1: I think I might have missed that. What were his comments?
2: Oh, so... Um, apparently he had a one-on-one with Bruce Cassidy and he is now accepting an enforcer fighter role to stay within the lineup. I'll look and pull up the exact quotes from the, uh, Boston globe.
1: But do the, I'm confused. Cause the NHL doesn't really do that anymore.
2: And that's kind of where, um, you know, it, I wouldn't say it piqued interest, but people kind of gave it, you know, a, a, a sideways glance saying, are you serious? Um, so it was kind of uh, kind of interesting.
1: He's with Boston now. Is that what you said? For some reason, yeah. correct. Okay, so that would make sense then, because Boston and Philadelphia are still stuck in the dark ages where they think they have to be. I mean, you know, Philadelphia has a mascot named Gritty for Pete's sake.
2: The, bo- <laughs> the most popular person in the NHL.
1: Yeah. Um, which i find creepy but you know that's another story um i'm just not into like mascots personally at all but um anyway so philadelphia and boston i was actually talking to my boss about this and in boston bruins fans understand what how the rest of the nhl actually view them which i find hilarious and um and so I said, I was talking to him about it and I was saying, you know, they're a lot like Philadelphia fans, actually. He's like, oh, yeah, I go, yeah, except for Philadelphia is like the Italian mob and Boston's like the Irish mob. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sort of meant to and he laughed. He thought that was funny. Um, but no, I mean, you know, the, the whole the NHL is trying to do the wholesome family show thing and trying to phase out fighting. In any way they can without actually coming right out and banning it and so you know it's like who when was who was the last actual enforcer that was in the nhl
2: i guess you could theoretically say it's still um ryan reeves but i would even say that's kind of a stretch
0: for him it depends on what your definition of is is yeah that's a good point
1: Well, so my definition, I'm asking the question, I guess I should define it. Um, My definition is someone whose role is to basically fight and rough up the other players who get close to their stars, but has no other real value in the lineup. So they kind of take up a roster spot without actually, you know, providing defense or scoring or anything like that.
0: Mm, see, yeah, that's that's a tough one because there are it still goes back to that what's, what value do they provide type thing are they scorers are they going to pot 15 goals a season no are they going to pot 10 goals a season no are there guys in the lineup that do that yes are they call enforcers uh, no um uh, I don't know. You know, it's it's. Is Ryan Reeves had more goals than quite a few people for quite some time, and I believe he's barely had any fighting majors this season. So he's still out there as the quote unquote nuclear deterrent, but is he really that enforcer role anymore? I don't know. You know, it's. I think. I think we're just seeing the next evolution of what that type of player is honestly yeah
2: honestly back
0: as kind of bring it full circle it seems like he has
2: been removed from a scoring role and now is mainly a a checking forward is how i would describe him
0: yeah i mean that's that's kind of the role of those guys has always been sort of fourth line guy go out and bang some bodies around and if there's a fight to be had take it type thing well the fight to be had part's gone away but their job is still the same most fourth lines most not all are out there to go out and quote unquote bring energy bang around yeah.
1: right play physical yeah like more physical i guess um yeah i mean that's. so i'm trying to i'm doing some google searches trying to f- figure this out so they wikipedia has a list of currently active players that are considered nhl enforcers by somebody i don't know who edited this page Mm -hmm. um and they don't have any scoring like or or anything like penalty minutes or anything like that um listed it's just a a random list that someone threw together um,
0: what they consider to be quote-unquote enforcers
1: right and uh oh is that cassian still playing
0: <laughs> oh gotcha A- arizona i believe cassian no he's up on the line with mcdavid or, no that
2: or uh who, i'm thinking there's like two guys one cassian and someone in arizona system
0: um oh the- arizona system yeah, um um oh, the, 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 not ronaldo yes yes it is or no
2: no he he was he was with arizona i think he's with uh nashville now but so i digress they, they're they kind of the same list, player in my head
1: yeah this list has three guys from nashville and that's cody mcleod zach ronaldo and austin was- watson
2: i would say mcleod is probably the closest thing left um Ronaldo can actually keep up with the play, but I don't think he's very worthwhile offensively. And I don't know. So
1: so historically in the NHL, from how I see it anyway, um, so the whole enforcer role came about because of Wayne Gretzky and how you know he was small but he was speedy and he could he could play and so they had um, Semenko on his line who who would you know basically guard dog him mm-hmm. uh, before that pretty much if you played in the NHL you had to be able to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and so um because Gretzky did so well um you know the NHL's a copycat league right so everybody started copying that it's like oh well, <sighs> Wayne Gretzky has like a bodyguard. We need to have our star player have a bodyguard too. And so in the last, I would say last 10 years, that's really kind of gone back to how it was before where the expectation is if you uh, play in the NHL, you need to be able to take care of yourself.
0: Actually, I I disagree with you there. You actually have to go kind of go back to Philadelphia and the Broad Street Bullies days because there are early – teams were more, amazingly enough, finesse and smaller guys that were getting pushed around, and Shiro and Snyder got sick of it. So that's when they started gooning it up, and you had guys, they started drafting guys specifically for the purpose of gooning it up. Now, they were the transition team prior to that, the and and this has been discussed on some other podcasts recently. Um, prior to that sort of Philadelphia expansion, that first six expansion, the best players were also generally the toughest. Right, right. Gordy Howe and, and Richard, and even Jean Beliveau to a certain point, had absolutely no problem. You know, sort of taking care of business with their own with their own mitts. Mm-hmm. Um after that you started to see that role become you started to see that role evolve. And to your point, Cassie, the reason it sticks out with that Gretzky era is because you had that second expansion from the WHA in there. So the talent pool got thinner, which means that the guys that like simenko who could play and Probert who could play were given opportunities on teams a little bit We're given more opportunities on teams and other players who were maybe less Offensively gifted or talented than some of those guys now had teams that they could go play for as well as opposed to being mired in the minors because they couldn't bring anything offensively so those those sort of WHA teams brought in we diluted the pool again and opened up, you know third and fourth line spots for all of those players and now you had the, the archetype of the Gretzky with, uh, with Semenko and Lumley. And um, Iserman, you know, with, with Probert and his cadre. So that, that archetype had been built. And so more of those players started coming in with other teams. To the point we got, you know, to where it was basically um, um, John Scottish type players.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, just literally there for no other reason. Yeah, the specialization of that role. And I hate saying John Scott because John Scott is actually a hockey player. Well, way better than I'll ever be. But, you know, he fully admits he's not a top six.
1: Right. Well, I mean, yeah, and that's the thing is that a lot of those guys who um, became those enforcers were actually goal scorers in, like, junior. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) And, and they made it there, because it made to the NHL, because they had talent, but they weren't going to be the top six, like you said. And so they ended up, you know, it's one of those, I'm just going to stay in this for as long as I can, however I can things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at guys, you know, the guys that are on, um, who tend to be in the roles of the, the studio people that are former players, Like Nick Kiprios, you know, Nick Kiprios famously racked up 60 goals when you're in junior, I think, you know, he was Mm -hmm. not an untalented player. But when he got to the NHL, as is sometimes the case, you know, either your game doesn't translate or you're not as skilled as the top six guys on the team that you're on. So to kind of come back to David Backus, you know, as his skill and everything has fallen off, what's he going to do? Right. You know, he's got no top six forward role anymore, which is what he spent his entire life being. So it's you either accept that you're being bumped down into a third or fourth line position where you're not going to get the ice time. Um, Your expectations for scoring goes away, but the expectations of what you need to bring to the team every shift, every game changes. So I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of on the fence with the whole thing with him. I get the concussion thing with him and his history, and I think everyone's picking up on that enforcer fighter mentality that kind of came out of that conversation. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's got to be dropping the mitts every game. And right. So.
2: So where this kind of came. Can-
0: Oh, you Uh, went robot. uh,
2: Tweeted out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, He tweeted out that Backus confirms Firms recent meeting with Coach Bruce Cassidy about his overall role and has chosen to adopt a fighter enforcer role. Okay, whatever. Wants to be a vital contributor. Sees this as a way to keep his roster spot. And then he says he kind of dismisses the concussion risks. Um, That's not a direct quote, but I would say that's how Bacchus feels. And, I mean, I know he was kind of grilled publicly, especially by, um, you know, the new uh, poster boy, Dan Carcillo, you know, speaking out against NHL's culture. Um, I don't have a problem with what he's doing. I think he's a smart enough person. He's a cerebral enough person that he can weigh the risks and he's not ready to see his contract, but be bought out, um, be sent to the minors, play in Providence. I mean, he's doing what he's doing to maintain his livelihood. Um,
1: he's a guy who's not ready to retire is what this is, his, like, this is his wake up call. It's a, you know, it's, if you're in an office job, and somebody tells you that oh you know you're older and you're and somebody tells you oh well we're gonna put you doing this over here because we have someone else new up and coming that's going to take your spot that's a wake-up call to like well do you belong there anymore right mm-hmm. and so in the same sense that's what bacchus is being told is that you know you're no longer uh you're expensive and you are no longer producing the way that you did and so you know we're gonna we're gonna demote you. And so he's not ready to retire. That's the whole deal. He's gonna go along with it because he just he wants to keep playing.
2: Yeah, it's I wonder if the the feedback or the criticisms that I've seen would be different. If you used the word, word role player or checking forward rather than fighting fighter enforcer. And this did come on the heels of him having three fights in four games, Mm -hmm. so it it was a fair question to ask at the time. Uh, You know, is he deliberately doing this, or was it just a matter of circumstances in the games? Um, And clearly, it's
0: the former. As in all things, the truth generally lives somewhere between two points. So, I don't know is if he was asked directly to go out and fight so much as he decided that's what that role meant. You know, I,
2: I, go I'm out. sure it's a little column a little of column yeah. B because I'm sure because there's, I want to say people are, are, are walking on eggshells lately because uh, the NHL's Present-day concussion lawsuit is nearing a close or a Resolution and I'm sure teams coaches general managers are being very careful with the language that they're using I doubt in their co- conversation Bruce Cassidy used the word fighter use the word enforcer Directly but use any type of language to maybe suggest this is what you may want to do
0: yeah, bring energy to the lineup. Yeah. You know, that's well, that's always considered code, right? We need exactly. you to bring some sandpaper or some energy. You know, we need you to go in there and bang some bodies. You know, all all of those non-fighting term terms that lead people to believe that he meant fighting. Yeah, because the NHL lacked a thesaurus in the 80s. Uh, exactly. Hmm.
1: Well, you know, we'll see. I mean, um, again, it's one of those, you know, he wants to keep playing. So, you know, is if he does happen to end up with another concussion, is that really going to be it for him? Probably not if he's at this point looking around going, sure, NHL, sure, why not? You know, so.
2: <laughs> right, and he has two more years on his current contract. So I find it unlikely that he would be – bought out or buried at this point because he would be, let's see, how old is David Backus? He's 34, so eh, they they would probably just ride it out or or find a nice trade with an Arizona or a Columbus, a Carolina, someone to move him if he'd be willing because, you know.
0: Anybody that can take a contract that needs to hit cap floor. Mm -hmm. And as long
2: as he continues to want to play, yeah. Because he does have a no-movement clause, so it, I doubt he's willing to go to the minors at this point.
0: Hello, Ottawa. <sighs>
2: Hello. It's, it. I've had very serious conversations about several players that I like recently that they just need a fresh change in Ottawa without the ownership issues would be an ideal scenario but man are you walking into a shit show <laughs> and i would just feel I, I think it would just compound issues for certain players to walk into that storm Oh, very. and, and it would just be too much
1: it's yeah. one of those let them at least get a new coach first and see who the coach is <laughs> yes yeah,
2: see who gets hired see who wants to take the job and right. whether it'll just be defaulted to troy man the uh the coach and i believe binghamton's still their affiliate i might be wrong on that
1: i think so last i heard
2: yeah the baby so be, the belleville oh that's right see i I knew they were in Binghamton previous, but I yeah. did, I could not. I could not place it.
0: A H L teams bounce around so often, and there was that whole shift and realignment a few years ago where Worcester came out and actually, you know, the Worcester Sharks became the San Jose Barracuda.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you know, well, a lot California of
1: California teams.
0: Yeah, a lot of teams shuffled around a few years ago. So. And then we've seen a lot of ECHL teams become
2: AHL teams. uh, Beyond that, where uh, oh, who who else was it? I guess Colorado, the Colorado Eagles, were the latest example of that.
0: Oh yeah, 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 as
2: as they compensated for you know Vegas needing a full-time affiliate, and we're gonna see it again whenever Seattle hires some people. I mean this summer.
1: When Iserman's free.
2: <laughs> when Iserman's free, and then he goes to Detroit. And bumps no, he's not gonna Ken get Hall- to Detroit. He's gonna bump he- Ken Holland upstairs. But the- but that's the story everyone likes to tell themselves.
1: Well, I know. I mean, and I'm not saying Iserman will go to Seattle. I would like for him to, but um I I don't see Detroit doing anything with Holland. I honestly don't. I'm Out of I'm respect. Not- <laughs>
0: Well, I'm, you know, I keep saying that and people keep looking at me like I'm high because Eiserman's available and I keep saying, show me what Ken Holland has done to that franchise that warrants him being bounced and not given a chance to rebuild it. Exactly. You know, Maybe. and and the only thing I can think of is that the loyalty between him and Mr. Illich, um, you know, Mike Mike wouldn't have fired him, but you know, some people are saying, "Well, it might not be there with his son or his children who are running the franchise." And I'm going, "Yeah, but they also may be smart enough to know it's hands off." You know, that's yeah. that's almost a self-contained entity. So long as you have the right people there, let it well, go.
1: And Holland has said that he has no interest in in moving to the front office. You know, to yeah. to leave that position, he has no interest in that. And if you know the ownership's going to just Keep you know the status quo, and he's not interested in leaving his position. Then Eiserman's not going to end up there. I mean, as much as people want him to, unless he takes a role that he had before with Detroit, and I don't remember it was like a, a vice president position or something, um, he's not going to end up in Detroit. Um, I like I said, I would like for him to be <laughs> in Seattle, but um but then again he might just be happy not doing anything for a couple of years.
2: Yeah, you can see him get that bump upstairs to the president of Hockey Ops or whatever you know, the Brendan Shanahan, the whatever Bob Nicholson is doing in Edmonton role.
0: You can um, just, you- Whatever, Bob Nicholson, you just, you know, you phrase that question the different way. It's, whatever is Bob Nicholson doing at Edmonton? Because <laughs> right? he was supposed to be the adult there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah,
2: he got I, tired of living in Calgary and wanted to move.
0: Further north.
1: North,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Because it was just too tropical and balmy in Calgary for him, I guess. Um, yeah, I, remember, I don't know. He I, I red just. Kept yeah, I think the thing with Iserman, the people in Detroit wanting, you know, the the promised child coming home, is they saw what he had or what he's done in Tampa and go, that could be us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, instead of instead of this team we've got now, that could be us. It has to be Iserman. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I can't blame them. It's I, I like, can't either,
0: but still. you know,
1: he he was there for like twenty five years, <laughs> including his like for an office job, you know and he he played hockey there for what 20 or 21 years and then and he was captain for most of that and then he you know immediately transitioned to like assistant GM or or hockey ops vice president or something. I don't remember what it was now. And then, you know, he take, he, he realized he wasn't going to like get the GM job in, in Detroit. And he left and went to Tampa and, and rebuilt Tampa and, you know, look at them right now. And everyone's like, Oh, he needs to come back and do that for us. Cause he's amazing. And he belongs here. And it's like, well, I mean, sure. He's, he's <laughs> ours.
0: He's ours. He's it's, Steve. It's he's ours. He needs to do this for us.
1: It's the unreasonable expectation that fans have that the players that they love are just as dedicated and um, loyal to the team as they are. Oh, but Cassie, he
0: still lives there. <laughs> Clearly that's an indicator. Clearly that is an indicator of his deep, deep love for that area. Mm-hmm. And not simply an indicator that he didn't want to uproot his entire family when right. he took the Tampa job, which is why his family stayed behind.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and if recent history
2: tells us anything, if you look at uh, Ron Hextall and Ron Francis, you know, first-time GMs that go back to their franchises, not necessarily their cities, but the franchises that they kind of lived and died with for most of their career, um, things don't always go so well, so it's probably... Pfizerman's a smart man. I I think he kind of stays away from that role and maybe does a... I don't know, something different.
1: Well, let's also, yeah. let's also look at Detroit as a town to live in.
2: Oh, I love Detroit. So you know? I lived there for a year in, I uh, don't you know, half a year in uh, 2006. So very early on in the, the rebirth of their economic development. And I loved every minute of it.
1: Oh, yeah?
2: Yeah, it's, it, it's surprisingly a nice, it's a, still a very blue collar town. It still has its issues but it's still very very stereotyped the the worst part of the town is the roads because of the weather once you get past that it's kind of a pleasant place to live
1: see tacoma for many years my family's from tacoma had a similar reputation as detroit
0: (laughs) and then some yes
1: yes so but i've always liked tacoma but you know I also stayed away from Hilltop, so that's another... Well, actually, I didn't, but that's another story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into that another time. That's not really a hockey story. <laughs> so, anyway... Um,
0: we could start a crime podcast, because that's probably about where most of the stuff that happens on Hilltop would be appropriate.
1: It's actually gentrified now.
0: Oh, it is now, yes, but... Yeah. Back in our day.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, so um, um, So we can go two ways right now with this We can either go with Well, let's speculate about Iserman some more Where he's going to go, what he's going to do Or we can go back to my question that I ended last week Or we can go off on another tangent Which would you guys like to do? It's choose your own adventure
2: Is this like let's make a deal?
1: No, it's like choose your own adventure story
0: I choose to not speculate anymore Because that's no fun because yeah. everyone else does it too, so
2: everyone does it too, but they're not very. They don't have fun with it.
0: Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that's true. So many of them are too like factual. Yeah, you know, look at us <laughs> being smart. Yeah. So
2: I'll just I'll just say this. Steve Eiserman ends up going to Ottawa, and let's move on to your question from last week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <That's so fast. laughs> I have to sit, let that sink in for a second before I move on. I have
0: to, I have to wipe it off the bottom of my shoes for a second.
1: So. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait. Okay. All right. My question from last week. Um, My question was, so what do you think the purpose of defensemen are, is? You can have more than one, I guess.
0: To, to not be forwards?
1: <laughs> or goalies.
0: Or goalies. <laughs> Well, they're they're crazy enough to lay down and block shots yeah. for the guy who has thirty pounds of pads on, designed to stop pucks. Mm-hmm. So they've got half goalie mentality and then half forward mentality. So
1: their defensemen—is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, yes. <laughs> I mean, if you look architecturally at the game, right, you have three forwards and two defensemen.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: you're never... If if their three forwards jump out of the zone and your three forwards are in the zone, you at least have a three-on-two. Right. As opposed to if there was a, a no-defense person, defenseman position out there, all five guys might be trained conditionally to just swarm to the zone. And then... Their five guys could jump out. Uh, It's just always sort of like soccer and all the weird positions they have in soccer, like the 1-4-4 and the 15-1. You know, all those weird positions at the end of the day, they all just run around on the pitch together. (laughs) And the guys that play the back don't go as far forward, you know, into the offensive zone as the guys that play towards the front end. Every once in a while, they do you know mm-hmm. if there's an opportunity but by and large they stay back a certain place to prevent the 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 jailbreak rush going the other way so yeah, wh- what
2: you're describing is foosball hockey as i like to call it
0: yes yes
2: where you look immediately after a center right's face off and then there's there's two guys there are three opposing guys there are your three forwards the two opposing defensemen like clockwork after every every face off and it's just they're both a stopgap and then expected to you know perform magic at the same time. Yeah. Um. I I think their role in a simple statement is their job is to transition from defense to offense. Like, create a turnover and then pass it up the ice.
0: Get it. Get it from below. The dots in my zone to the to the blue line so that those guys can run away the other direction yeah because
2: those are the only type of plays where you're seeing consistent offensive production from most teams you know you don't see you know a chip it off the glass then the three four let's be honest one forward four checks creates a, a turnover and then creates sustained pe- pressure no it's usually by some sort of defenseman-led pass or rush up the ice. Two or three teammates go with him. They're all kind of similar speeds, but they're all entering the zone at the same rate, and they sustain some pressure. Like That's their job, at least five on five. And then for some unknown reason, they're supposed to be good at slap shots, and no one is anymore on the power play.
0: Well, it's because they've got all those other defensemen that lay down in front of the net. To block the shots instead you know instead of letting the guy who's paid to do it do it yeah but goal goaltending is voodoo for some reason i
2: i, I don't understand if everyone's going to block shots for you why can't you stop a
1: st-
2: stop a shot mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. well here's here's the thing okay so so from my perspective so defense is what it says <laughs> defenders play defense, <laughs> um, uh, and any any offensive like output after that is added bonus.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I, I still know? feel that way. Yeah.
1: Um. So you know, defensemen don't usually get noticed unless a they make a major mistake that leads to a goal or a um, scoring chance, or two unless they actually score a goal or set up a goal. Those are the only two times that defensemen are ever noticed, like ever. Um, and so even if you're listening to play by play, you'll find that if you pay attention to who the defensemen are, they almost never get mentioned. It's it's a puck gets banked off the boards to the forward. They'll tell you who banks the puck off the boards. So they just tell you that the forward's getting it. Um, so there's that. And then You know, the other issue with it is because no one pays attention to the defense, there aren't a lot of really solid statistics for the defensemen. (laughs) And no one really counts the defensemen in on on goaltender statistics, even though clearly they're blocking shots that the goalies aren't getting. And somehow that should actually translate into what the goalies are also trying to do. Um, And so, so they're pretty much really overlooked in that They contribute quite a bit, as you guys have said, you know, to like cutting down scoring chances on the goaltender, but also setting up plays in the offensive zone. But they don't get a lot of credit for it. And yet, if you ask people like what makes like the Norris Trophy at the end of the year is basically um, the Professional Hockey Writers Association people Sorting on defensemen, sorting on who's got the most points and whoever gets the most points is the Norse Trophy winner. <laughs> and yet, the whole point of defense isn't actually to get points. So...
0: <laughs> It'd be like awarding the, the Vezina for the highest scoring goalie.
1: Right. You know, something like that. So, So, yeah, I mean, as a former defender myself. Um, I was never a shooter. I was never going to be a shooter. I was never going to score goals. This was never going to be me. In any sport I ever played in, I was never a a point getter. I was always the one... (laughs) I was always the one digging out balls in basketball, making sure they didn't go out of of bounds. And I was always the one, you know, getting floor burns in odd places because of that. And... (laughs) I was always the one who was blocking shots and getting things out of the zone. After they got out of the zone, it was like, you guys can take care of it after that (laughs) forwards. You got that. I'm over here. I'm over here. If you need me, I'm I'm an
0: outlet in the offensive zone. If you need to reset.
1: Right. And if I ever got like the peck at the blue line, I would shoot it at the goal, but it wouldn't really be a shot. It would be more like, well, let's get this down low and maybe they can figure out what to do with it down there. so if I ended up with an assist, that was kind of an added bonus, but (laughs) it was just kind of like, I'll just put it in that general direction and then you figure it out. I'll
0: take take that secondary assist. Thank you very much. What are those?
1: (laughs) I didn't really touch that, but if you're going to give it to me, okay. (laughs) Oh,
0: see that they stop awarding secondary assists Once you
2: hit the beer leagues or the rec leagues,
0: that's generally because they don't have the memory retention to be able to remember that far back
2: oh no we're just not that good to to actually produce you know consecutive passes (laughs) to actually award a a secondary assist (laughs) but the one thing (laughs) i love that you commented on cassie is i think good defensemen make a goaltender's job easy yes um they prevent the goalie from having to move laterally or change their uh field of vision if you if you go look at a New York Islanders game, what they're doing isn't magic. It's really, they're forcing shots to the outside. So the forwards, you know, will keep the, the point players on the periphery and the defensemen are keeping everything out from in front of the crease. So in the low slot, so the goalies don't have to change sides a lot and it makes their job easy. And they, by a product of the good defense in front of them, are putting up amazing save percentage numbers. The only thing anyone can ever talk about goaltending is what's their save percent, or not their save percent, yeah, save
1: percentage. Right, and nothing uh, nothing that's added to that, the next, the next thing that should be added right after a goalie saying, oh, yeah, he's got a great save percentage and his defensemen are blocking this many shots, but nobody ever says that. Right. <laughs> No, that's a, that's a product of, like you were saying that the good goaltending is also a product of good defense. And so, and I truly
2: think bad goaltending is a product of bad defense. Yes. Where not only they'll block block shots at the wrong times where the goalie doesn't have to move. He has a clear line of sight on a shot. I'm going to block it anyway, ignoring the two guys coming at me as the defender Hard and now they're going to have an easier chance to score, or but they give up the cross crease passes.
1: That's a product of the def- the goalie either not expressing what he wants of his defensemen, or the defensemen not asking the goalie what he wants. Because there are a lot of goalies that like getting hit by the puck. There are a lot of goalies who want to take the shot and don't want it blocked because of that very reason. So. So there's also a communication gap going on there between the goalie and the defenseman. You have to have, they have to work in tandem, right? And so they have to know what each other's doing in order to make it work right. So sometimes when a goalie has a bad night, it's not the goalie's fault. It's the defenseman not listening to what their goalie wants.
2: Yeah, and I do think it's a byproduct of commu- uh, communication with coaches. So using my Islanders analogy, I think the reason why Mitch Korn and Barry Trotz worked so well together is i think they have a mutual understanding of what works best i think in general in the nhl may not parlay itself into lower levels of the hockey but they've kind of figured out what works consistently and what works well with what whatever group that they have so i think they've come to an agreement okay in these situations goaltender this is what you should expect, defenders. This is what we want you to do. Mm-hmm. And I think in those bad situations where the defenseman kind of freelance on other teams, something that I saw in Carolina quite a bit, um, you leave your goalie out to dry a
1: lot. Uh, but you're where... also assume, you're also making the assumption that the coaches know what defensemen are supposed to do. Because that's not always the case. There are a lot of coaches that have no idea what their goal, goaltender or their defensemen are supposed to do. They just know that the forwards are supposed to score, and so mm-hmm. they they just let the defensemen and the goalies do what they need to do because they just have no clue. Right.
2: They they know how to suppress, say, a single individual one on one in the defensive zone, but they really don't know what to do until after the team somehow gains possession again.
1: I mean, you can see that with power plays, too, is that you don't, oh. you, they have no idea what to do with the defensemen in power plays. And so usually they have, like, a lot of times these days you have four forwards and a defenseman who is a quote-unquote offensive defenseman who's get, getting 10 goals a, a season and, and, you know, like 40, 50, 60 assists. But does that mean that they actually know what they're doing heading up the power play? Psh.
2: I absolutely know. not. I, I I would say no.
1: Pat Patrick, do you have anything?
0: No. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm just sitting back and joining, listening to this. I am a podcast listener at this point because that was awesome.
1: Woo. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's it's like, it's like with football. American football, since we were talking soccer earlier. Um, Nobody knows what, no one pays attention to the defense in football. It's all about the quarterback. It's all about the running back. It's all about your wide receivers. It's all about scoring. And the only time that defensemen, or defensemen, the only time that football defense actually gets involved in, like, the way people talk about things is either the defensive line sometimes or they uh, it's it's breaking up plays, you know, breaking up the offense, stopping the offense from doing what they're supposed to do. And even then, that's really only like interceptions. <laughs> no one really talks about when they're talking about trying to trying to complete all the downs. They're talking about the inefficiencies of the offense. They're not talking about how good the defense is it's at, at stopping the offense from making those extra dance. and so there's a there's a mentality from the fan perspective to just focus on offense and not on defense at all, and I think that that's also carried over some in to some extent with the coaching staff as well in the NHL.
2: And I think in the culture, like the fact that everyone has to be a puck moving defenseman, I think is way overblown. I still think there is merit to. I I would say, by and large, 90% of the NHLers can complete a tape-to-tape pass when they have adequate time and space. But there's, I think, an unrealistic expectation that every player to be considered a good defenseman needs to be able to dodge and weave through a couple four checkers and skate the puck out themselves and then make that perfect pass to create a two on one situation. And I think that's unrealistic based on, you know, coaching by and large in professional sports, all of them is designed to press whatever the offensive objective is. So breakouts, they want to tip up, tip passes, um, cause, you know, 50, 50 puck situations um once you're in the offensive zone you want to take away shots and you do that through gap control basically reducing the amount of space between you and the opposing player until a point where you can attack them and and take away or cause a giveaway not necessarily you gaining possession but your team no one's going to talk about how angling a player while skating backwards into the corner or forcing them to go around the net is a great play because oh that player still has the puck even though he's not in a shooting position and can't pass it to anyone no like you were saying cassie no one's going to talk about those kind of other things
1: it's like poke checking you know poke checking is like a seriously underrated thing by the goaltenders and by the (sighs) defense
2: except in carolina i think it's (laughs) It's a little too much of a focus, but that th- that could be an that could be one of our two on o
0: rants sometime later this year <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you mean you mean poke checking and truck truck checking gotta check what truck they're driving out there and
2: uh, oh God, I forgot about the trucks uh everyone everyone's got to drive a pickup truck. What is this Western Canada?
0: you could tell he's you could tell he's a good hockey player he's driving a pickup truck.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: That, that was a thing earlier this year. Um, the, the truck per 60 was high on the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, it
2: is, except for on game days when I see them driving past and they're in their <laughs> six-figure sports cars. No joke.
1: Mercedes or BMW.
2: Yep. Oh, so, yeah. But for morning skates, the amount of trucks is quite
1: impressive. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, hockey's a blue-collar sport, right? That's, that's what we keep getting told, even though it's one of the most expensive sports to play in North America. <laughs> oh, but everyone skates outside. Yeah, no, they really actually just skate at the rink. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, outside of a half a dozen states and four months out of the year, nobody's skating outside.
1: Well, nobody's class. practicing outside on a regular basis. Oh,
0: nobody's holding organized hockey whether it's practice or whatever outside no that's that's just shinny
1: yeah and so it's like um yeah okay that's that's exactly what people do is they go practice outside because you know you can only have hockey in places where the water freezes okay (laughs) and it's a blue collar even though it's one of the most expensive sports to play with all of the gear and the ice time and stuff and travel and yeah yeah you gotta you gotta love canadians and their their little like Self-perpetuating myths. They're hockey mythology.
2: Oh, you mean the gatekeepers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their stories sound nice, but
1: we walked to school uphill both ways without any shoes and the snow was going sideways.
0: Where? Where in Canada? I mean outside of the outside of the Rockies, where are these hills?
1: <laughs> now I, I've i been to like Manitoba There are there are no hills We right. got to Saskatchewan and we we're like Oh my god there are hills <laughs> Still no trees though no.
0: <laughs> You know the, the running joke is that You could let your dog out the door in Manitoba And watch him all the way to Ontario
1: Yeah I can watch him run away from you For two days Yeah. The other I, one is you can stand on a tin can And see 200 miles in any direction
2: <laughs> I think it must have been Former minor league players that had to be Based in Pennsylvania, because that's pretty much the only place where there are definitely hills going both ways. And you might die if you don't pay attention on some of them.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Pennsylvania just has its own rules in general, I've found over the years. So that's why I avoided that state every time I traveled back east. Yeah,
2: it's there. There are a couple bright spots in the middle, but by and large, on the two opposing ends, eh. Mm.
1: Hershey. There's Hershey.
2: (laughs) Hershey would have been one of the uh, Hershey and Harrisonburg. Always great stopping points when
0: you're going from north to south. (laughs) Which is all anyone does is drive straight over Pennsylvania from north to south.
1: I've done it east to west. (laughs) I, I,
0: (laughs) I did it east to west once. Once. Once thank you johnny dangerously thank you my mother hooked my mother shot me once
1: mm-hmm.
0: once once
1: <laughs> once yeah so there's my there's my defense thing there you go thank you for participating and good night no
0: <laughs> please tip your waitresses fill out the survey card
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know. I, I it's just it baffles me how you can have like one third of the guys on the ice doing things and no one having any idea what they're doing. <laughs> Unless they have to have like, you know, assist an assist or set up a scoring chance or they let you know, they let up a scoring chance. That's it.
0: I, I always joke they're kind of like the the CIA or the FBI. No one no one cares about their successes. Their failures tend to be what everybody picks on because they're spectacular, Mm
1: -hmm. even though
0: there may be few and far between in some cases, like the one time out of an entire, you know, these guys play 25, 30 minutes in some cases, a game, almost Mm -hmm. half the game, the one time they screw up out of that entire time is what they focus on.
1: Oh, I know. And then that player is like the worst player ever. And oh, my God, why is he still on his team? And why haven't we traded him yet? And oh, dear God. Oh, and he just scored. Oh, no, he's awesome now. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> you Man, you just, you know, the life cycle of Toronto right there. <laughs> you, you just you just went a whole Morgan Riley and Jake Gardner right in that, <laughs> right there.
2: All right then let me let me you brought it up I'll pose the question which defenseman would you rather have Morgan Riley or Jake Gardner
0: right now right now Riley What about you Cassie? I
1: haven't watched either of them enough to really like say so okay. I am going to defer to Patrick.
0: <laughs> and the only, the only reason I say that? Well one of the primary reason I say that Where is Gardner right now? Hurt. Yep. <laughs> so that's Isn't pretty
1: good. Not a guy that.
0: on the IR? I mean, come nope. on. Not with, his, <laughs> not with his back spasms.
2: No when thing. healthy for probably another 18 months, I'd take Gardner. But, yes. But I actually really enjoy watching Morgan Riley play.
0: Oh, he's fun. Right? I, I don't. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sold that he's that guy. I'm sold that he's having a great season. But I'm not. Oh, sold absolutely. That, yeah, I'm not sold that he's this guy. He's going to be this guy again next year. He's not
2: going to be on very many Norris ballots. He might be in the kid consideration for a quarter to maybe a half a season.
0: Yeah. How many
1: goals has he scored? (laughs) That'll tell you whether he's on a Norris ballot or not. Exactly.
0: (laughs) What's his, what's his point for 60? He took off on a tear. He was on a tear at the start of the season and cooled off, which is expected, but.
2: I mean, he was close to point point per game for a while.
0: Yeah, he was. If I remember, where's he at right now? He is almost so he's at 17. Yeah, he's at 17 goals right now. Which now, is strong. Which is very strong. Is 64 points total overall as of today. Um, but you know, a lot of those goals came earlier in the season. <laughs> so, like I said, he's he's. Kind of one of those guys that sort of tallied off a little bit.
1: What's the adrenaline of playing in the NHL war off?
0: Uh,
1: or no, actually, once everybody started figuring out his story.
0: a little, Probably a little bit of the whole everyone started figuring out Toronto's game plan. Yeah. And started focusing on him a little bit. And then they realized that they didn't have much else on the back end that could sort of support their forwards. Um. I, you know, it became easier to shut them down. The the teams they have the toughest problem with are the teams that don't have the ability to skate in any fashion with them, because they're not. And I hate doing this. Oh my God, I hate falling into this narrative. They're not a big physical team. Mm. And the problem with that is is if you're if you're not that way, you better be you better be that Detroit. You know that that sort of. Zetterberg, Datsug era Detroit, where you're not big and physical, but you play kind of a physical game. You're not afraid to to dig in the corners and sort of be that fourth line, first line talent. And I don't see a lot of guys in Toronto doing that.
1: There aren't a right lot of now. guys in the NHL that do that. I mean, you know, it's that it's that Peter Forsberg mentality, right, where you know, you might he he might have three guys on his back, but he's still gonna score. Damn it, you know.
0: <laughs> God, I miss Forsberg. Oh you know right? God, I miss Forsberg. <laughs> Crosby, Crosby's got it. seidel has got it. Um, McDavid's got it to a certain degree. I'd love to see Austin Matthews sort of develop that. Austin Matthews has got that frame,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and he's got the strength on that frame that he, and it's not him initiating contact so much as it is, um shielding and sort of imposing his physical will kind of a little bit like Crosby does. Crosby gets in there and and out muscles you. Dreisaitl gets in there and tripods and he's just such a big boy. He will hold off someone, you know, kind of clinging on him around the net and then just make an absolutely beautiful pass. I'd love to see Matthews start playing like that more.
1: You either well, have to be—you either have to be the guy who is—is is the bull in the china shop who doesn't know his own strength, or and or you have to be a bit of an asshole, or you don't really care if the other guy gets hurt. <laughs> and I think Matthews like that—he just—he doesn't want anyone to get hurt. He's too nice a guy. For now. For now. It,
2: when he stays on a Mike Babcock. Coach team long enough. I I think he will want to become that asshole. Yeah. Uh, Because you know, like you were saying, Patrick, Toronto's a team. If you outmuscle them, there's nothing that they can do because you can't adjust to physical strength necessarily. Yeah. And Toronto's teams, like clockwork, they just kind of play a consistent style, consistent effort for the first 20 minutes. Then they make a bunch of changes in between periods, and and that's Babcock's bread and butter. He'll he'll make adjustments in the second period, and that's when his teams will strike. But you can't adjust to something that you can't compete with.
0: Yeah, you the thing you can lean on them, and I'm not you know I don't I don't want to say grit. It's got nothing to do with grit. Hmm. You can lean on that team, and. They're consistent through the lineup, they're not consistently leaning back on you. And, and to sort of circle back around to Boston, that, that Bergeron and Marshawn line, you know, those aren't two very big guys. No. But, they, but you, if you lean on them, they lean back. There, there's some physicality and some mustard in their game. And it, I hate it because it falls into – you know, it just falls – it devolves into that stupid trope about grit and sandpaper and –
1: No, you know, it's like also that, but... it's also the whole like – and I hate the phrase. I hate it with a passion. It's just one of those things that whenever I hear like an NHLer or a coach or a GM say it, I want to smack them. But it's the competitiveness or what they call the quote-unquote compete level. Oh, I just hate oh. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like – but but it's all it's it's I mean every every guy in the NHL is competitive otherwise he wouldn't be in the NHL. Um, but you've got the guys who just really hate to lose in any way shape or form and those are the guys who who have a little bit of like nastiness about them. You know, like Bergeron, like Marchand, they 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 just hate losing. They hate losing the one on one battles. They hate losing like the games. They just and it's just like just like really like annoys them and that's that's why they they do that it's the competitiveness
2: yeah all that compete for me it all comes down to one-on-one battles and for whatever reason i guess because there's no thesaurus like i was saying earlier they just don't know how to describe it any different but people with certain physical skills not not necessarily strength or speed It's a mentality.
1: It
2: it is a mentality, and then it's just a willingness to do something. Like, I think a team like Boston and the players we're describing, and I think it's reciprocated down into their second line with players like Jake DeBrusk. They end up getting the puck more than the other team because they know how to win those small battles by using certain attributes that work well for them, as opposed to... This is our system, and this is how you're supposed to win these battles, and this is what I want you to do in this situation. No, if Peter Forsberg's going to throw a hip in you to get the puck back, Pavel <laughs> Datsuk's just going to skate circles around you and play keep away for a few seconds. You know, Brad Marchand's going to use kind of some outside speed, and then hold up things long enough to get his teammates involved. Bergeron's going to win a faceoff to you know start a play they're all winning small 50 50 battles yeah there's their competitors because something's working doesn't mean you're a competitive person it just means you know how to do something better than someone else
0: yeah, and 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 i'm sure you'll love this one because this is the other old phrase cassie they execute
1: That one doesn't bother me so much. The compete level thing is just bad English.
0: Yes, it is. And and it's lazy. It It is lazy. It's It's unbelievably lazy. lazy. No, the, the
2: ability to execute is kind of an interesting thing, just kind of as the gears in my head start rolling. Like, the difference in most, I think, professional hockey games comes down to a matter of the winning team is usually able to execute three or four plays better than their opponent. Or unless you were watching last night, um, sometimes they do it eight or nine times. (laughs) Uh, When Paul Maurice's team came back to Carolina and threw up an eighth spot. Anyway, um, most games come down to two or three simple plays where you kind of try the same things over and over again. And the other team ends up breaking it up And then when goals are scored usually there's you know a quarter to a half second difference where a play is actually able to be executed um it's never for a lack of ability it's it's like a counter punch in boxing where you just you timed everything right in this certain circumstance it's not because you did anything necessarily better it's just it worked for you this time
1: yeah Yeah. I mean, a lot, so much of hockey, especially in the NHL is it really isn't about ability. It's when you come down to, you know, individual players and why they're more successful than other players. So like Crosby and and, um, Matthews, for example, um, it just comes down to determination and how competitive they are. You know, it's, You know, Austin Matthews, I was questioning his competitiveness, but at the same time, you know, he's not willing to like, I guess there's also a willingness to sacrifice the body for the team. Um, You know, there's, there's that, that, okay, this is going to hurt, but if. You know, if I'm in front of the net and they're going to be like hacking on me, if that's going to get me a goal, then I'm going to do it. You know, it's it's that willingness to sacrifice your body for the team, too. And Crosby has that. I don't know if Matthews does yet.
2: I, ha- I have to disagree about one thing, Cassie. I think mm. 100 hockey men are going to question his toughness if uh, Toronto fails to make it out of the first round this year because those narratives are are just waiting to be talked about on radio and written in however many newspapers Toronto has, because that's just the cycle of life.
1: It's a cycle of Toronto hockey life.
0: They've been priming the pump since before the trade deadline, right? The the narrative from everyone about what Toronto needed was uh, help on the back end and gritness toughness. toughness truculence grit so they've been priming the pump for that narrative and should Toronto face Boston in the first round and it goes Boston's way because whatever reasons Boston may not play the game you know they they run over and and do the physical stuff but they still end up winning you know the narrative We've been saying this since the trade deadline. They needed to get tougher. They needed to get nastier. They needed a little bit of sandpaper. And it's like you know. You got the you've got the horses there. They just need, in my opinion, they they just sort of need to play that style of game a little more. Because they they're a very fast and skilled and unbelievably talented team. But they don't have that lean in factor. They don't have that Forceberg nature.
2: They don't know how to adjust when things aren't going the way they want them to. Yeah. How do we still produce at the same time? And I think when Boston's top line isn't producing, I think their secondary, you know, their second and third line still find ways to contribute when needed. Um even though no one talks about them. Everyone thinks of Boston as a one line team and you know I've seen them a couple times and since January and I I don't think so. I think they're deep enough where they can cause headaches for a team. And Toronto is just not built to adjust to that.
0: Yeah, t- Toronto is very much built a specific way. And that way may win hockey games in three or four years because you can kind of see the shift in the league right now people are trying to sort of emulate him a little bit um, but if Tampa wins that still is going to perpetuate that physical model to a certain degree cuz those guys those guys play with some heft
1: Yeah, and they're not very big either. Well, some of right. them are very big.
0: Right. And that and that sort of goes back to that Detroit model, right? Did I mean the the Detroit era sort of after the the big lockout they became a hard team to play against, even though they weren't a physically imposing team to play against. Right. And it's because, and I, and it just amazes me that Babcock hasn't, and maybe he's trying to do this and they're not listening. I don't know, but not seeing Toronto take on that mentality, you know, the, the same thing that he had with, with Zetterberg, Zetterberg and Dotsuk where they played heavy. You know, they had that line of Maltby and, and Draper and and McCarthy, or McCarty, but they also were, you know, they had one guy who was kind of a bruiser on the back end a little bit, but everything else was the forwards. Just sort of getting in and playing, being tough to play against. And I hate saying that because it sounds like such a damn trope.
1: Because it is.
0: Well, and... Yeah, Babcock
2: also had a couple of Hall of Fame defenders to work with, which Toronto doesn't have, and I think that's why we're seeing them struggle a bit because they have enough injuries on the blue line that's
1: holding
0: them back. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Their 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 depth on defense is yeah. is a, a waiting pool right yeah. now.
1: Well, it's everybody though. I mean, most yeah, most right. teams don't have don't have defense to like support their offense. You know.
0: You're you're lucky if you've got. A true top two. Right. It's like the best teams.
1: you can hope for is a is a top one. Yeah, <laughs> and a top a one. Of, and, yeah. A couple of middling guys and, and then, you know, some depth from your HL team.
0: Yeah, a top one and then a bunch of three, four pairing guys. Yeah. To sort of fill everything else out, hopefully.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the key to a good defense is actually um, balancing out style of play rather than, like, people will call it, quote-unquote, chemistry, which is another thing that drives me crazy. Oh, um, yes. Because chemistry doesn't really exist. It's just a matter of your playing style clicks with another player's playing style.
2: <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're, mental, you're, you're mentally running kind of on the same wavelength where, you know, I'm not thinking a half second ahead and you're not thinking a quarter second ahead, or it's like a couple years ago when everyone was wondering, how are they going to find a line mate for Sidney Crosby? Well, when you have a cerebral player who's able to think so far ahead and they see plays a couple seconds ahead of everyone else, it's kind of hard to adjust. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So when you take two defenders that are just kind of, you know, oil and water, it, it just doesn't work.
1: Right, and it has nothing to do with whether they get along or not. It has everything to do with how they play.
2: And they can (laughs) both be perfectly good, like when Eric Carlson went to San Jose. He was a little rough for the first 20 games because he's still...
1: He had to
2: adjust. And the adjustment is gauging the speed of not only your teammates, but there is a significant difference, I think, in the way Eastern Conference and Western Conference teams are built... And they stylistically just play a different way. So you can say one division or one conference is "quote unquote" fast, and one conference is "quote unquote" heavy.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, you can you can split it all kinds of ways. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's like I said, it's a copycat league, and so whoever does well in one conference, that's what the rest of the conference tries to do.
2: And that's why it's a shame Columbus is struggling as much as they are post trade deadline.
0: Which leads me to the question of the week. All right. Should Columbus fail to make the playoffs, what lasting impact do you think that will have on the trade deadline? Because Columbus went all in. Columbus mortgaged their future for the next two years. So effectively, they have hurt themselves five, three to five years from now because those prospects are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, they mortgaged their future for the present. And do you think that that's going to have an impact on next season? Because we saw some, we saw some sizable trades this year, Muzzin and stone being probably two of the bigger ones. Um, Do you think teams will be reticent to maybe do that later in the season, as opposed to maybe moving these things to off season, you know, when they've got some security in the sense they're not trying to, acclimate these guys with 20 games left and hoping that you know they made the right decision does it impact the trade deadline and negatively or positively because I've, I've been kind of rattling on that one a lot of people have been asking that question and i think i want to ask it too because it's it's a very interesting question
1: so many things to say to that but I'll yeah re- i know <laughs>
0: yep and, and that's why we have a podcast next week.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Follow us on Twitter at 3B3Podcast. This has been the 3B3 Podcast, sponsored by Nobody.